AlienLegacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at the Cage Club Network. For all things movies, media, music, comics, and more, check out CageClub.me. That's CageClub.me. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And I have no idea why we watched Predator. Well, we know why we watched it. That just doesn't make it any better. Well, okay, yeah, two things. Number one, I, you know, kind of get why Tobias Funke was, like, such a big Carl Weathers fan now. Yeah, I love the Carl Weathers character. And those abs are pretty great, too. But the biggest takeaway is Arnold was more beautiful in this film than any bodybuilder in history. Oh, my God. Oh, I mean. He looked great in this movie and 40 good for him really he's a guy who might not be incredible for his acting chops but he really put himself into this performance i okay yeah two things i really like carl weathers and i really liked arnold schwarzenegger so i paused for a second because there's this fiona apple cover i love fiona apple covered bill withers use me in concert one time and she starts it off by going you like bill withers you like bill withers i'm gonna play bill withers so i keep just going to go i like carl weathers you now like i like carl, carl weathers? weathers well i guess we should talk about why we're here this is alienlegacy.html husbands talking more or less where we like to take a look at a sci-fi franchise and tear it apart and put it back back together together again yeah i like that yeah we love to find the rich tapestry that these sci-fi universes make and the way the narrative connects with its audience and fandom we also love to cover some of the behind the scenes stuff alien is my all-time favorite film franchise and as such we're celebrating with alien legacy where we take a look at the history of this franchise as it is now entering its 40th amazing year and re-entering theaters as such. Of course, Alien ties to Predator thanks to Alien vs. Predator, both successful comic, toy, and film series. So we decided it was time to take a look at the Predator film franchise. And, okay, we looked at it. We wanted to scratch below the surface of one of the most beloved science fiction franchises and decided there's just not much under there, is there? At least not in the first one. That's no. No, but I do like that you said scratch under the surface because I feel like this movie was a lot of scratching balls and jocks traps. If only there were jock straps, I might have been a little bit more interested. Yeah, there were so many problems with this movie, whether it's the fact that I believe there really is one woman in the entire film. Yeah. Or it's future politician Jesse the Body Ventura's liberal use of the word faggot, or the amount of times Shane Black talks about the banged out misshapen nature of his girlfriend's pussy. Giant vagina. Oh my god. Like... Like, is he having sex with rose quartz? What's happening? I don't understand that portion of the film at all, but I also don't understand much about vagina in the first place, so that's me. Well, before we can talk about too much Predatora Dentata, I think we need to talk about what went into this film. (laughs) 
I was really fascinated by some of the ways Kevo said the film came into focus and what brought this movie about. The many layers in the BTS that came together because objectively, I think this movie might have created the mega muscle superstar buddy up movie. These sort of fast and furious and was Red Dawn? Lethal Weapon kind of? Yeah. Oh man, I love Lethal Weapon. It's such a fun team up movie where Bride of Nine Spiders and Tiger's Beautiful Daughter and Steel Serpent all team up with the Iron Fist. Wait, no, that's the Immortal Weapons of Kunlun. Wrong show. Wrong show. Wrong show. But Lethal Weapon, I'm actually not sure when that came out. I know it was vaguely the 80s. It was definitely during a period of time where it was okay to have a volleyball montage to a vaguely homoerotic song. I mean, that's what the 80s were all about. Apparently it came out like three months before Predator. So it's like, it's around the same time. I think Predator was just part of the boom. Now I'm thinking about it and I feel like Lethal Weapon could be an accidental mistranslation of the title into another language. I get I get that. I get that. I totally get what you're saying. Your ancestors come back to life. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. The Chevy doesn't go. So, Kevo, can you tell us a little bit about the BTS that went into the giant teeth of this film? That took me a second. Well, part of the inspiration for the film Predator apparently comes from a Hollywood joke that existed after the release of Rocky IV, where people suggested that Rocky had run out of Earthbound opponents and would have to fight an alien in the fifth movie. And that inspired screenwriting brothers Jim and John Thomas to come up with this spec script. So what you're telling me is these guys were like, I want to see Space Invaders punch Sylvester Stallone. So Jim and John Tom came up with Predator. Yeah, and it's funny that you said Space Invaders because actually, yes, originally it was going to be a band of various different aliens seeking out various different targets, which was streamlined into one extraterrestrial hunting the most dangerous of men, a combat soldier. I need to be really honest with you. This is the first time I just realized there's only one predator in this movie. Yeah, I wasn't sure either, but there's only one dude hunting them. So yeah. Is there more than one in the sequel? Predator 2, Pig in the Big City? I want to say yes, but I guess we'll find out. I'm having a moment because I'm like, wait, that's Danny Glover, right? No, that's Angels in the Outfield. Wait, no, that's Saw. Wait, are Saw, Angels in the Outfield, and Predator 2 all the same movie? Well, apparently people are saying that Blade Runner is part of the Alien franchise now because it's also directed by Ridley Scott, but like, no, we're not watching that one too. No. And which cut would we even watch? And I just want to double check. Blade Runner. That's the movie about the competitive ice skaters, right? Oh my god, no. What is that actual? Cutting cutting edge. edge. Cutting edge. (laughs) Yes. Yes. If we did the Blade Runner sequel, we could have a crossover with boyfriend material. So there is that. Synergy. Synergy. I actually have a comment about Synergy that's going to come up later in the episode, so that's fun. So the setting of this film was chosen as Central America because of like actual constant special forces operations going on down there at the time. It didn't say anything about like they were trying to make a political statement or anything, but they were trying to be topical, I guess. Topical and tropical. I mean, it was the 80s. We didn't start the fire. Belgians in the Congo. Children of Thalidomide. That's your favorite one. (laughs) Oh my God, we don't say that on air. Hello. So I need to know, how did this go from Roxy Roxy Boxing on the Moon to Predator? I mean, that was it. It just transitioned. Honestly, there's interesting stuff about the people behind the scenes of this movie, but there's no, like, any of that shit that we talked about on Alien or Aliens. It just, it got made. The worst that really happened was that Arnold Schwarzenegger had to get married in the middle of filming, and a bunch of people got diarrhea. That was it. Wait a minute. Are you saying that insurgent locals forced Arnold? 
Arnold Schwarzenegger to get married in the middle of filming and then everyone got diarrhea as a result? If that's what you want the story to be, sure. You go ahead and spread that. I'm telling you guys, filming Predator evidently sounds a whole lot like making a movie with Stanley Kubrick. So, wait a minute. Who even directed this movie? A man named John McTiernan, who at the time was 36, and his only major credit before this movie was the 1986 film Nomads, which was his writing and directorial debut. It was the first leading role for Pierce Brosnan in a movie, and also starring soap veteran Leslie Ann Down as an ER doctor possessed by Brosnan's French anthropologist's spirit after being murdered by demonic Inuit trickster spirits, who are also kind of zombies and mostly take the form of street punks. So what you're telling me is I need to go back and watch this movie that they very clearly ripped off for Ghost. Yes, Nomads is what it is called. And Schwartzy was so impressed with the film's tense atmosphere on a low budget that he hired McTiernan to direct Predator. It said that he hired him, which like, I don't know how Arnold Schwarzenegger had that power on the film, but it also said that that was from his own autobiography. So he might have just been like, and then I hired him. No, you, you, okay, buddy. I thought you were going to say to direct his wedding. Where's that crossover? It's the wedding planner with Predator instead. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez plays the Preda planner. I love it, and I'm in. McTiernan would next direct the very popular film Die Hard. Shut the fuck up. And its eventual sequel, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. I, I had no idea. It really seems like a lot of this 80s atmosphere really was cultivated by just a handful of people. When you think about the fact that like every 80s trope is credited to John Hughes. Yeah, okay. But it seems like all the action tropes belong to a handful of guys too. And he has a few notable credits in, you know, that sort of sphere and genre. He worked with Sean Connery twice in The Hunt for Red October and the 1992 movie Medicine Man with Lorraine Bracco. Has anybody else ever seen this movie? Because I randomly did when I was a kid. Like, when I saw that that was one of the movies this guy directed, I was like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> I was about to say, go. I think you're confused. It's either Aaron Brockovich or Lorenzo Lamas. Lorraine Bracco is not a person. <laughs> I decided to tell you. No, she's real. She's definitely real. Do you know what else is real? The score for Medicine Man was done by Jerry Goldsmith. So we're actually going to change the name of this podcast to Goldsmith Legacy? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Other notable works by McTiernan are Flight of the Intruder, starring Predator 2's Danny Glover, Last Action Hero, starring Schwartzy, nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director and Worst Picture, 1999's 13th Warrior, which also had a score by Jerry Goldsmith, The Thomas Crown Affair, which starred Pierce Brosnan, who he worked with on his first weird fucking movie, Rollerball in 2002, which is going to become important later in this story, and Basic in 2003, which was the second collaboration ever between Sam L. Jackson and John Travolta ever since Pulp Fiction in 1994. So a lot of that is incredible, and the more we talk about the interconnected nature of these creators, the more you can see how these things evolved together. Yeah, he definitely was a pretty prolific guy, but then things dropped off when he was convicted of making a false statement to the FBI about hiring a private investigator to illegally wiretap Charles Roven, producer of Rollerball, and more recently, the DCEU film franchise. This guy illegally wiretapped someone else in his industry and then lied about it to the FBI? He also wiretapped his ex-wife, apparently. So this guy is actually 
Predator. Ha! Nice. Sure. He served 328 days in prison and served out the remainder under house arrest. And while in prison, he filed for bankruptcy, first Chapter 11, and then Chapter 7. Despite all of this, he managed to write a possible sequel to the Thomas Crown Affair called Thomas Crown and the Missing Lioness. So you're saying he wrote Chapter 11, then Chapter 7, then Chapter chapter 2. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, so that's John McTiernan. He kind of faded into obscurity somewhere in the mid-2010s. No one really knows what he's up to right now. That's a tangled web he wove. Wow. That's incredible. Unfortunately, the story of the screenwriters isn't quite as exciting, but it's still kind of funny. Probably better for them than it's less exciting. Yeah, I know, right? They also wrote the sequel to Predator, Predator 2, so we're going to be talking about them again. The 1998 film The Rescue, 1996 film Executive Decision. They contributed to the screenplay for 1999's Wild Wild West, for which they co-won a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Screenplay, so a lot of Razzie nominees made this film. I actually want to talk for a second. So Predator has a very famous comic book line as well, and we've seen Superman face off against Predator, recently Batman faced off against Predator. At the comic shop this week, I saw a copy of Archie versus the Predator 2. Absolutely. And Predator is, oh my god, I just so desperately need them to write like a sexy teenage Predator into Riverdale. (laughs) I just need it so bad. Oh my god, they would do it. They would so do that. No, but I need him to look like Predator. No, it's like a super, like, jacked body, and then the head is still, like, a predator head with the dreads and everything. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Predator has a very famous comic run and line, and it's actually part of what made Alien vs. Predator possible. But on the subject of Wild West, and I just think this is fascinating, sometimes things wind up fucked up for reasons you don't realize. It turns out there was going to be a Wild Wild West tie-in promotional comic at DC, and they had gotten well underway in producing it when it was discovered at the last minute nobody got Will Smith's permission for his likeness, and it would have been too much work to renegotiate the contract. It's not so much that Will Smith mean-spiritedly said no, so much as it's a business, it's an enterprise, and you play by the rules. And you have to protect your own image. Absolutely. And DC, not very interested in having a comic book adaptation of a film missing its star because no offense to Kevin Klein, I don't necessarily think he was the young hip draw nah sorry and they decided to shelve it at the last second although evidently it is good to know that DC at that time were very good at honoring their commitments and paid the artists for the work they contributed good the most recent things they worked on that I was able to recognize were 2000's Mission to Mars and 2001's Behind Enemy Lines not really anything since the weirdest thing that I was able to find on on their credits, and you guys know how much I love crap like this, they co-created the CBS TV series Hard Time on Planet Earth. Have you heard of this program before? No, but it really sounds like a lady alien prison sex exploitation film. I get that, I get that. It ran from March to June of 1989 and was about an alien elite military officer exiled to Earth and overseen by a floating eye-like robot patrol officer named Control. And he was doomed to remain on Earth until he could learn compassion. It was critically reviled and premiered 65th out of 81 programs and did not rise from there. I found a pretty decent length review from 1989 that opens with about 20,000 RPM. That's how fast I figure Walt Disney has to be spinning in his grave. Apparently there was an episode where the characters went to Disneyland and the 
reviewer was so sickened by what he described as Hollywood's latest biz buzzword, synergy, calling it a shameless plug, and just did not have anything nice to say. Gave the whole damn show an F. Woof. Yikes. It's like, every now and then I'm like, man, cop rock, underappreciated classic. And to touch on something you mentioned before, Last Action Hero, in hindsight, the work is actually a lot less reviled than it was at the time. Last Action Hero is now considered a rather kind of cult classic-ish film. So it is one of those things where, cool, sometimes, hindsight, things look way better. And sometimes, hindsight, things are still bad. And it's a very fine line between nostalgic classic and garbage, honestly. It really is. The final major prong of my trifecta is composer, and it is a name that I don't really need to spend a lot of time talking about because we've talked a lot about him already. Alan Silvestri. That's the cat that chases Tweety Bird, right? Uh, Ow. No, I mean, absolutely, Alvin. I just called him Alvin Silvestri. Alvin Simon Theodore. So evidently now, this is a mashup between Alvin and the Chipmunks and Sylvester and Tweety. I'm in. Cartoon All-Stars to the rescue! Cartoon All-Stars to the rescue! The Predator's on drugs and we have to get him off! Perfect. But I think the thing... Oh my god, Arnold just starts showing up. I don't want you doing drugs! And the Predator's like, okay. Get through the chopper! Wither is methadone! So, I think, um... Yikes. Okay, Alan Silvestri... He did Avengers. We liked that. He was just coming off the success of Back to the Future when he got this job, and this was like his first major action movie, and I thought it was okay. I don't think it's my favorite score of his by any means. I actually really loved it, and I thought it's- I know. I thought it sounded like an 80s new wave dance synth top 40 version of a good score. Interesting. Like, it was definitely of its time, and there were humongous problems with it, like all over the place, but I actually thought it was like- fun and the score was dot 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 exciting i wonder what the film would have been like with a different score though i'm not sure it fully matched the film like the score from mary poppins ha you don't like my jokes today predator makes you salty final fun fact on composer alan silvestri would go on to score james cameron's 1989 film the abyss so again everyone's just just all connected like ooh, apparently james cameron had even more influence on the film because on a plane ride to fox studios Makeup effects artist Stan Winston, who was working on the film, was sketching monster ideas sitting next to James Cameron, and Cameron suggested that he had always wanted to see a creature with mandibles, which, you know, became part of the Predator's iconic look, so that didn't even come from the people who worked on this movie. Sure. And it's with that that I think it does bear some saying that Predator, while not a ripoff of Alien, feels in a lot of ways like a strong parallel to the Alien franchise. Yes. I felt watching this movie like they took all of the ideas of surrender of gender from Alien and threw them out the window in favor of toxic masculinity, which was never praised. Yeah, to borrow the vernacular of the time, it did sort of feel like someone saw and enjoyed Alien, but said, now let me make one that isn't for fucking pussies with guns and big dudes and shit. I almost said hot dudes because like I'm gay, but you know. There was a lot of hot dudery in this movie. It was like, I get it. I get it. It was definitely like looking at the most woofed page on Scruffed, only there weren't enough Middle Eastern doms. Nice. Topical. So I kind of feel like this entire movie boils down to four parts. Part the first, the cool setup, the flying in, the everybody getting to know each other's pissing sound. 
right? Then there's the second part. We're on this mission. We don't really know what's happening. There's the third part. Oh no, it's revealed that the mission was kind of a lie and there's something afoot that's very bad here and we're being picked off. And then there's the just the Schwartzy parts. Yeah, the Schwartzy final act. Which mirrors the Ripley final act. This is in so many ways a survivor film. They're just getting picked off this island one by one. I wish there was more to this movie than that, but I found, and I don't I don't even mean it insulting, I did find very little substance to this film, and that can be okay sometimes. Some people just like shoot 'em up movies. I wish it used the word fag a little bit less, but 1987, yeah. And not just 1987. 1987, where the idea was literally fuse every Sylvester Stallone trope without him. This has bits of Rambo to it, this has bits of Rocky to it, as we know from the creation of the film. Not to mention, the Predator itself is an interesting parallel for Arnold to star opposite when he had been the Terminator. Especially considering who had originally been cast as the Predator. Who had been originally cast as the Predator? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hot Jean-Claude Van Damme! Well, I was trying to be like Hot Damme, but also Jean-Claude Van Hot Damme, I guess. Okay, Jean-Claude Van Hot Damme! Nice. They originally wanted the Predator to have more of an agile ninja-like fighting style, but it was felt, and this is almost a direct quote, that a more physically imposing man was needed to make the creature appear threatening against Arnold Schwarzenegger. Plus, like, there are reports that Jean-Claude Van Damme was uh, a little bitchy about the Predator makeup that he was required to wear in the jungle. I just, every now and then, something comes along where you're like, yeah, okay, everything's coming into focus now. Like, when you find out that Mariska Hargitay was going to play Dulcia in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie, and you're like, holy crap, my entire world would be different. Absolutely. If Benson and Stabler showed up and started investigating Zed and Rita, I would have think that the Power Rangers job time would have been cut in half. Chung Chung. It feels like this is the first movie in some time where we're really not talking about like the plot of the film because it's there's not a lot of plot. It really is a pick em off movie. And that's okay. I'd never seen Predator before. And everyone I spoke to about it said to me something along the lines of, oh yeah, but just consider that it's of its time. And I kind of can't. I do accept that this movie is 30 years old. And I accept that this movie has to be taken into consideration with how it's aged. But there's a lot of problematic elements to this film. The use of faggot early on is certainly not something that was unique to this film, as I understand some of the early, even Fast and Furious movies have some choice language before it becomes the good time family feel good action blow em up thriller chase franchise that built this network. I understand that the misogyny of this film is actually incidental to the underdevelopment of the women. Woman, I should say. And you know, she's not ever really treated too horribly. She's sort of, it's sexy lamp syndrome, but it could be so much worse considering everything that's in this film, honestly. Yeah, I mean, sexy jungle lamp isn't necessarily my favorite spin on the trope, but I would prefer sexy lamp with a PhD. That'd be better. But I do feel like Predator wasn't trying to be more than it was. This isn't a film about the perseverance of the human spirit. This is the film about a bunch of big guys screaming. And so much of Alien and the structure of its story is about mystery and why this is happening. Not just in terms of how they got themselves in the situation, but like the alien life cycle itself is a complete mystery under the surface of predator is just it's exactly what it is it's the predator is hunting them there is no further information about why specifically here 
here, why specifically now, why he chose them. It's all just, they happen to be there, kind of. It's, there isn't anything deeper to look at. I did walk away with a couple of interesting points from the film, though. Number one, if I ever need to get through an infrared heat sensor, I'm just going to lather myself up in some conveniently available mud and get through no problem, because space technology is fooled powerfully by mud. Big mud. Other thing I walked away from this with, I was okay with everything about the Predator till the laughing. Yeah, it did kind of come across like the end of the thriller video. I did feel like Vincent Price was like, you've done it. It was absolutely, I mean, it happened. I, I watched it. Did I hate Predator? No, but I nothinged it. Honestly, I didn't hate it. I absolutely did not hate Predator, but I nothinged it. Yeah, kind of same. If somebody else wanted to put it on, I would probably be on my phone for huge parts of it, but I wouldn't be like, don't fucking put that movie on in front of me ever again. The parts that we've cited as having made us uncomfortable still make us uncomfortable but other than that it's mostly just loud there's some pretty good cinematography and moments of direction that one scene where max machine gun keeps rolling while it's out of ammo like that whirring sound during that scene like that was a really powerful image i was really blown away by that these effects were nominated for best visual effects at the academy awards i didn't think they looked great even for 1987 but good good for you good for you someone did i think one of the things that made this movie work was genuinely arnold's commitment to the material even if he's not gonna win an olivier tomorrow his commitment to executing this material like he means it came across yeah i agree so it's been great trying to barely talk about predator as much as possible and i guess we're gonna do this again next time for predator 2 electric boogaloo let's see how little we can talk about that movie so until then kevo where can everybody you. you can find me on the tweeters and the instagrams at kevo really k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y or you can find me on the facebook page for this lovely program husbands talking more or less you can also find my super fun super cool super inclusive superhero work at kidriotcomics.com nico where can the folks find you you guys can find me all over this network on shows like now and again with my childhood best friend chris podcast where we talk about pop music through the lens of the now that's what i call music series you can also check me out on my other amazing show here with kevo along with our amazing boyfriend jonah and our our best friends Dylan and Kyle, X's for Podcast, where we have multiple feeds examining all different aspects of the X-Men comic book franchise, whether it's the 80s mutant hysteria that took over the comic market, or Jonathan Hickman's recent brilliant reemergence of the X-Men as the dominant form of Marvel Entertainment in the breathtaking House of X. We got something for everybody. You can also check out my music over at facebook.com slash action duo or here on this network, writing themes for amazing shows like Too Fast, Too Forever. You can also see me being mostly naked on Instagram over at Nico Action and I C O A C T I O N. And until next time, we'll see ya. Get to the podcast! Ah, that's my favorite!